want to acknowledge that this morning is going to be hard for some. Because in this world, we don't all have perfect dads. And maybe for some of you this morning, it's painful because maybe you lost your dad recently. Or maybe you wish you were a dad, but you can't be. Or maybe the earthly father you have isn't a very good one. And this day brings up a lot of pain. And I just want you to know that God is the father that your heart longs for. He is the perfect father that will never bail on you. He will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And his love for you is not conditional about how well you do for him. His love is unconditional, rooted in Jesus. So I just want you to know that this morning, if that's you. That there is a dad, a perfect dad who loves you. And he's shown his love for you in sending Jesus. So I just want to just take another minute and just pray, uh, just in light of this special day. Father, I just recognize that there can be mixed emotions on a day like today. There can be joy and thankfulness, and there can also be grief because we live in a broken world. And yet for every person here, Father, I pray that you would help them to know how much you love them because of Jesus. That you would show your Father's heart of love and that your Father's heart of love would be with them in grief Your Father's heart of love would be with them in pain and hurt. Your Father's love would be with them in joy and thanksgiving. And that every person here would know that they have a Father who loves them and rest and trust in you. Because you're a perfect Father. We all need you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue in this uh, series kind of values I know this month you guys have been focusing on initiating relationships and consistent community. And relationships is a big deal for God. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God is himself a community. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Within his own self is a community of love, is relationship. He is himself a relational being. And that's why when he made human beings, even before sin entered the world, before anything bad happened, He said, it's not good for man to be alone because God made us to be in relationship with him and in relationship with one another and for those relationships to be marked by love, perfect love. But of course, as we look around the world, that's not what we see, is it? We look around, we see a lot of broken relationships and all of that flows, the Bible says, from our broken relationship with God. And yet the good news is, is that God has passionately pursued his people, and he's in the business of restoring broken relationships. He's in the business of pursuing us. Um, In the book of Colossians, we're going to look at Paul in the beginning of the letter, talks about how he has redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. He talks about how we were alienated, we were enemies of God, and yet he has reconciled us to himself. Through Jesus' death, he is in the business of bringing us back into relationship with him. And that good news is the gospel of Jesus. That the perfect loving God is about restoring us to relationship with him. And restoring us to relationship to one another. And so that's why relationships is such a big deal. And in fact, the final vision of the new heavens and new earth is perfect relationships with God dwelling among us physically, so we can see him with our eyes. That's the vision of every nation, 
every tribe, every tongue and people group together in perfect relationship. Revelation puts it as God redeems a people for himself. He's building a family. And the amazing thing is, he invites every single one of us to be part of this mission to invite people into his family. So at first it begins by inviting us into the family, and he says, I want you to tell other people that my heart is for them to come join the family. And that's what this whole idea of initiating relationships is about. It's about inviting people into the goodness of God's family through Jesus. And so what I want us to look at this morning is Colossians 4, 2 through 6, and really ask this question of how do we live on this mission of inviting people into the family? And you heard it already in the announcements, but this mission rise made up of three M's, that the message is Jesus. The message is Jesus bringing us back into relationship with God through his perfect life for us, his death in our place, and his victorious resurrection for us. The motive for this is love. As we experience God's love, we extend that love out, and the method is discipleship. And you know what discipleship is, right? It's a really fancy word for being in relationship with Jesus and inviting others into that too. That, that's really what it is. But how do we do this? What, what does that really mean to be about inviting people into this mission of knowing Jesus and walking with them? Well, Paul's going to help give us some, some help here in Colossians 4, 2 through 6. So I know we read it, but God's word is so good, I want to read it again. He says this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul is going to give us kind of three ways to be on missional living, this mission of sharing this message with the motive of love through the method of discipleship. And he's going to talk about three things, prayer, our lives, and speaking. So first, he's going to talk about pray for openness. That's the first point. He starts out with devote yourselves to prayer. He starts out with this emphasis on prayer here. He's kind of wrapping up his letter with these final instructions. And in this section begins with prayer. And not just prayer for anything, but if you look at verse 3, He says, pray that God may open a door for our message. See, he wants us to start this call to initiate relationships with prayer because Paul says prayer has to be the starting point because prayer recognizes that we can't do anything on our own. Prayer recognizes that only God can open the door. Even the great Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest missionaries in the history of the church, he's not like, well, you guys pray, but you know, I can just open doors on my own. No, even Paul's like, pray. I need God's help to open the door for the message. We've got to pray. We've got to recognize our need for God, our dependence on him. Prayer is what God uses to open the doors. It's inviting him into the process and recognizing we need him. In fact, as you look at the book of Acts, there's this consistent pattern that the mission of the church always begins with God's people praying indoors and then taking the mission outdoors. So in Acts 2, they're gathered in an upper room for 40 days praying. 
Not strategizing, just praying. And then God pours out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and thousands come to faith. And then the first time Peter and John are arrested for speaking up this Jesus and they get beaten up a little bit and, and, and let go, they go back to the church. You know what they do? They pray and the Holy Spirit fills them with boldness and they go out and spread the word even more. And then, you know, guess what? Last week you heard about Cornelius. I don't know if you saw that pattern, but Cornelius is praying when the angel tells him, go talk to Peter. And Peter's praying already when God gives him the vision. Prayer is what prepares the way for the gospel to go forth to Cornelius and his household so that the first non-Jews join the church. And it was during a prayer meeting in Acts 13 that the Holy Spirit said to the church, hey, you know Paul and Barnabas, your two best leaders? I want you to send them out on mission. And they start the first missionary journeys. Every part of the way, every step of the journey, prayer led the way for doors being opened. Paul gets this. And so he tells the church in Colossae, he tells us, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourself to praying that God will open the doors. And part of that is because as we pray, it literally actually tunes our hearts to recognize our need for God. And so he says, devote yourself to it, right? This isn't just like a, a one-off thing. He's saying, make your life be about this. We all know people who are devoted to a hobby, right? It's like you can always find them doing that thing on their time off. Paul's like, I want you to be known as being people of prayer. You're devoted to it. And that might look like longer prayer times. It might look like just this heart that's always praying. Five minutes here, five minutes there. There's this constant awareness and need of God to go before us, to go before us, to go before us because we can't do it apart from him. And notice it's devote yourselves. It's not devote you singular. It's devote yourselves. This is a plural command. What, what Paul's envisaging, what he's picturing in his mind, is a community that's devoted to this. This isn't a solo project, although hopefully you're praying on your own, but he's picturing this community that loves to pray together. That, that, that when they're connecting around the dinner table and stuff comes up, like, let's stop and pray about this. Right? That there's this, this posture of praying together often and frequently. Because there's this shared heart of dependence on God. And then he tells us that in our praying, we are to be watchful. And I love this because as we pray, God not only starts to give us a heart like his, but in prayer, he starts to give us eyes like his. Because here's kind of the thing. If you never pray for God to open doors, for building relationships, for sharing the gospel, you're not going to find them. I can just tell you that right now. But when you start to pray and ask God, it's like he starts to tune your eyes and you start to notice it. Uh, how many of you have like bought uh, a vehicle that's new for you at some point and suddenly you notice them everywhere on the road? Ever had that experience, right? Like you never saw that car ever before, but as soon as you buy that one, you're like, oh man, I see it everywhere, right? Well, they were there before. It's just now you're noticing. In prayer, what God does is he helps us to start to notice. And that's what he's saying, be watchful. Because as you start to pray and you're like, God, would you give me opportunities at work to be building relationships? And all of a sudden, somebody makes a little comment at work and you're like, ding, ding, ding. There's an opportunity to listen and love someone. Well, before you might have just like moved on to your next task, 
you slow down because God's helping you to see and to hear the opportunities around you. You go, wait a minute. I think that door might be a little bit ajar. I didn't notice it before, but I was praying for it to be ajar, and I think there it is. Praying together helps tune our eyes to see, to pay attention. And, and, and this is hard because it requires us slowing down. Man, and as, uh, as North Americans, man, we are doers, right? Like, all right, let's sit down. Let's come up with a plan. Let's go do it. Let's take that hill. And the idea of just stopping and praying and seeing what God does, man, that's a lot harder. It requires a lot of patience. It requires a lot of trust, right? And the reality is, Jesus told his disciples, hey, watch with me and pray for one hour in the Garden of Gethsemane. What happened? They fell asleep. Right? I mean, it, it, it's hard sometimes, right, to pray. And Jesus knows it. He says, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. Our default human nature struggles to pray. We have a spiritual enemy who doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us tapping into dependence on God. He wants us trying to go out on our own strength because he knows we'll accomplish nothing that way. So it's hard to be watchful. And this is why I think we do it together because as we're devoting ourselves together, we help each other tune our eyes to be watchful and see what is God doing? Who is God at work in? And then Paul says that we're to be thankful. He says, as you start to pray, as you start to pay attention, you'll see God open doors. And when, and when he does, you give thanks. Like, wow, that's so cool. We prayed for this. We were paying attention. God did it. And now let's give thanks for it. And guess what happens when you see God answer prayers and you give thanks for it? You want to pray more. Wow, what else is God going to do now in my life and around me, right? So you're devoted more to prayer. And you become more attentive to what he's doing. And then he opens that door and you're like, wow, God, thanks for doing that. And that makes you want to pray some more. There's this kind of cycle here, right? That God wants to invite us into. The joy of it. I want you to hear this morning. Paul is not trying to lay this burden on you like, oh man, you could do something fun like watch Netflix, but you got to pray. No, he's like, okay, you can watch Netflix. It's not wrong to watch Netflix, but man, wouldn't you rather at some points just pray and say, I wonder what God could do to change the world, to change my neighborhood, change the lives of people around me for eternity? That sounds exciting. He's inviting you into joy, not duty. And Paul's saying, pray this way, being watchful, being thankful, and see what God does. Uh, I'll just share a story from a couple summers ago where um, I had this group of friends um, who uh, were doing a dad's camping trip on Father's Day weekend. It also happened to be my, my birthday that weekend. And so initially I was like, I, I don't want to go and do that. I'd rather hang out with different friends that I like better. It's my birthday. And I started to pray about it and God just was like, I'm giving you this opportunity to hang out with people and all you're focusing on, Michael, is what you want. <laughs> okay, God, you're right. I should go on this camping trip. So. You know, so I decided to go on this camping trip. We're driving there. I've got my three kids with me. And I'm like, guys, here's my prayer for this weekend. My prayer is that I'm going to have some extended time with all these guys. None of them know and love Jesus. And I'm just praying that God would open opportunities to talk about Jesus with them. Let's pray about that together. So we did. And what do you, that, and what do you know that night, later on the campfire, after the kids are all asleep, I had three just amazing opportunities to lay out the gospel of three of these different guys. Now, unfortunately, none of them came to faith that night, 
But that's, that's not my job. My job is to speak, be faithful. And who knows what God's going to do with that down the road. The story's not over for any of those guys. But I got to speak. And so on the drive home, I got to tell my kids, guess what, guys? We prayed that God would open these doors, and he did it. And so now, let's pray that they'll come to faith and know and love and trust Jesus. And I wanted to pray more for these guys. You see how prayer soaked that whole process? And I don't share the story to be like, see how great Michael is, because I started out being like, I don't want to go. I just wanted to be about me, right? But God was at work changing my heart. Then God was at work giving me eyes to see. And then God was at work opening the doors. And God gave me the boldness to speak. And God helped me to give thanks that I would want to pray again. It's all God. And that's why when we think about initiating relationships, we have to start with being devoted to prayer for openness. So I just want to ask you this morning. Is that a part of your life? Do you look at your life and think, yes, devoted to prayer is something that marks me? Are there people that God's even bringing to mind right now saying, I'm inviting you to start to pray for these people. I'm inviting you to pray for these places you find yourself in, to pray for open doors. And whether this part of your life or not, you can begin today and say, God, would you help me? to be devoted to prayer, to be watchful and to see what you're going to be up to. And can you imagine if every time you gather together, whether it's in small groups or on Sunday mornings, you bump into someone in the grocery store people, and people say, hey, how are you doing? What if more and more we could start saying, you'll never believe what God did this week. Let me tell you what he did. I was praying and he opened up this opportunity and you give thanks together. What if that became the norm of this community? Because we're devoted to prayer. And if you're devoted to prayer, God's going to do stuff. Because he wants to. The problem is we need to get our hearts on board. And prayer is how God tunes our hearts and opens our eyes. So I invite you to pray for openness. Second, Paul challenges us to live intentionally. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So, you're praying for openness, but now you've got to live intentionally. You have to step into them. And he starts by saying, be wise in the way you act. I just want to pause. What does it really mean to be wise, right? We kind of throw that word around, and maybe you're thinking, well, that's kind of like common sense or street smarts. But Paul has already defined what it means to be wise back in chapter 1 of Colossians. Verses 9 and 10, he says this, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. It says wisdom is knowing the will of God and living a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, bearing fruit. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is living like Jesus in his world. That's what wisdom is. It's living like Jesus. And so he's saying, I want you, your life, to be marked by the kind of life that has the flavor of Jesus, and especially around outsiders. Now, this morning, if you would consider yourself an outsider to this community, maybe you're new to WCC, maybe you don't even consider yourself a follower of Jesus. I mean, we are so glad you're here. And I hope what you'll find in this community is people that have the flavor of Jesus about them. Not perfection, okay? If you're looking for 
or perfection. You're not going to find it here. None of us is perfect. We're here because we all know that we're not perfect, but there was one named Jesus who was perfect for us. So you're not going to find perfect people in a church community, but hopefully you find people that have something of the aroma of Jesus. And if you are someone who follows Jesus, Paul's saying, I want you to have the aroma of Jesus about you and how you live, especially around outsiders, because we all know it, right? We all know that when Christians, especially public Christians, turn out to be jerks, that gives opportunity for people to say, see, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. But it's not just on the big public scale. It's on the local scale. If people at your workplace know you're a Christian, but you're the laziest employee, what kind of reputation does that give for Jesus? When he says, do everything for, for Jesus. If you are a regular customer, customer at a spot and you are argumentative and critical and just a jerk to the employees, but they know you go to church, what does that say about you? The amazing thing is that everything we do in life can be done with intentionality. That everything you do can be an opportunity to have the aroma of Jesus about you. I think about a friend of mine who's a general contractor, and he talks about how, you know, he's like, every once in a while I'll be working on a project, and I realize I make some mistake. And I could cover it up and hide and get the job done, or I could undo a bunch of work, fix it, and I'll take me an extra day, and I'll basically get zero profit from this job now. What do you do? No one's going to know. But if you care about living like Jesus, the answer is clear, isn't it? You fix the job. Because there's something that's more valuable than money. It's honoring God and Jesus who died for us, right? So we're, we're stepping and living differently. Again, not perfectly, okay? We're never going to be perfect. But even there, we can, we can walk in wisdom by when we mess up, instead of hiding it, we're known as the people that are willing to own our mistakes and say, you know what? I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I messed that one up. Think about what kind of witness that is. So instead of be excusing your behavior, defending it, you're known as the person at your family gatherings, at workplace with friends, the person who owns their mistakes and says sorry and genuinely tries to fix it and make it right. And that's a beautiful opportunity, right? So he wants us to live wisely, and he says, make the most of every opportunity. See, time is flying by, isn't it? Man, uh, I said my birthday recently. I'm still, I feel very young, but I'm also realizing that I'm now double the age of interns in the office I work at, which is a little freaky to think about. Um, But man, time just goes by faster and faster, I swear. And Paul knows that. And Paul says, that's what you got to make the most of every opportunity. Time is flying by. Seize every moment. Don't waste anything. Every moment of life is an opportunity to live for Jesus. Whether it's paying attention to a new neighbor moving into the neighborhood and you go and greet them. Right? Whether it's hearing that someone's struggling and bothering to take the time to care for them. Right? Um. It's, it's not just thinking about how's life for me, but it's about how do I use my life to live for the one who died for me. And since it's Father's Day, I just want to call out um, Phil Sanfilippo, my father-in-law. You've been a great example of this, Papa. Um, you know, he's not just sitting around wasting his retirement. He is pouring his life into people, serving people, 
working at Treehouse, I mean, I just really appreciate that you've been a model of this, of not wasting your life and, and living for Jesus and loving and serving people. So just thank you. Um, so, but man, I know there's a lot of you that are doing this already, right? Serving foster families, right? I mean, there's probably in this room, if we ask every person, we could hear stories of how you are being intentional to love and serve people around you, to step into relationships. Let's keep growing in that together. And maybe you're thinking, well, man, time flies by. I don't have the time. Well, here's what I want to encourage you with. You're not, you can't add time to your life, but you can use the time you have with intentionality. I'm guessing that every one of you will eat 21 meals this week. You already have to cook. You already have to take the time to sit down and eat it. Why not use some of those meals to connect with other people? That doesn't add any time to your life. You're already doing it. Invite that neighbor, invite that coworker over. Right? If you're already going to your kids' sports games, what if you use the time at the sports games to not just sit and watch the game, but to try to get to know the other parents, to be intentional, get involved in their lives? Maybe you've got a a habit of doing a cribbage game with some friends. What if you invited some people that don't know Jesus to join you for those cribbage game nights as a way to connect with them, to get to know them, to love them? We all have things we're already doing. What if you did all of those things, but with intentionality for initiating and building relationships? That's what Paul's trying to invite us into. You pray for those open doors, and then you live intentionally in them. That's the second thing we're called to do. So again, I just want to ask you, as you think about your life, I want to ask, are you using your life intentionally? Is God maybe putting on your heart, even right now, some different people or some different activities you do where you're like, you know what? I could be more intentional there. And again, not because you're being guilt tripped or you feel like you have to, but because why would I not want to use my life that has been redeemed by Jesus himself for him? Why would I not want, since I've been rescued, to find some way to let somebody else know that there is rescue, a forgiveness of sins, welcome into a family? Let that be your motive, love, to lean into these relationships. But third, we also need to speak. Because here's the thing. Sometimes you may have heard this quote. Uh, it's been wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He never said it. Uh, Preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. That is 100% bogus and anti-biblical. Okay? You cannot preach good news with your life. It's news. It has to be spoken. What your life can do is show people that the news actually does transform. It can show people the news is worth listening to. It can show people that it's not a stumbling block to hearing the news. But the news has to be shared verbally. And that's why Paul says we are to speak boldly or clearly, is the other way to translate here in the NIV, and graciously. Look at verse 3 and 4. He says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Proclaim is to speak verbally. He's saying you have to speak this message, the mystery of Christ. So I just want to slow down for a second and say, what is this message? Well, Paul's been defining it earlier in Colossians. He says the message is that now 
you have been reconciled by Christ's death to present you holy in his sight. The message is that you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And when he talks about the mystery, he's not talking about a whodunit. He's saying there's something that was hinted at in the Old Testament time period that's now been revealed. And he, he clarifies that in Colossians 1. He says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now made known to the Lord's people. God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of this mystery. Here it is. Here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the amazing mystery. You can be in relationship with God through Jesus. You can have a hope for what's to come. That's, that's the message we get to share with people. And we're called to proclaim it, he says, clearly. Because here, here's the thing. Clearly is also translated boldly sometimes. I don't know about you, but sometimes I really want to hedge when I talk about Jesus. I'm just going to be honest. Because sometimes you just know, like, oh, man, I'm talking to someone, and I know they are not going to like what I'm going to say right now. I mean, I want to be liked, right? I, I don't want to lose my friends. And I'm going to have to tell them, yeah, there is only one way to be rescued, and it's Jesus. There's not 10 ways. There's not even three ways. There's only one way. I don't know why there's only one way, but there is. Frankly, I'm thankful there is a way. <laughs> I mean, we could have been with zero ways. So I think that's good news. But sometimes I can struggle, and I want to hedge it. And I don't want to really draw the line as clearly as it needs to be drawn, to be as clear as it needs to be that, you know what? There is a God, and he's perfect, and we're not. And only if Jesus takes your punishment can you be in relationship with him. That's just the truth. That can be a hard word. And it can be easy to want to hedge and fudge. And so we need to pray, because we're weak, that God will help us be clear as we ought to. And it might come with a cost. Paul is in chains. I think of a couple I know in Madison that was trying to adopt a child. They did a home study, and the social workers asked them a lot of questions, and they were denied because they spoke of their Christian beliefs. And they were told, because you're a Christian, you hold the biblical teachings on all kinds of topics, you cannot provide a loving home for a child. And I know this couple, and I know they were so gracious in how they went about it. But because they were willing to stand with Jesus and speak the truth clearly, it cost them. But you know what? They had the opportunity to speak of Jesus to these social workers that don't know Jesus. And who knows what God will do with that? And our, and our house church family got to encourage them and say, you know what? You have been counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. I mean... That's, that's, that's the beauty of what the gospel teaches, what the Bible teaches, that we get to suffer with Jesus. But we can't just be clear. We also, in verse 6, need our conversation to be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. It's this image, right, of like, man, you know when you eat something and it's got a little plain and then you add a little salt to it, and all of a sudden all that flavor comes out? He's saying the flavor of your speech needs to be grace. Because I'm sure you've heard it. I've heard it definitely. I've seen, I've read it in Christian blogs. I've heard it on podcasts, on the radio, where Christians say things that are 100% true and they're absolute jerks while they say it. We, we, we got to call that out. That's not okay. 
That's not being bold for Jesus. You're just being a jerk. Jesus spoke truth graciously. Because it's not just what we say that has to be Jesus, the message, but the how we say it has to have the flavor of Jesus. Otherwise, it's not going to be about Jesus. We have to be speaking with grace. And grace doesn't mean you don't speak clearly, right? Paul does both. And he's saying, there's no contradiction here. You speak truth and you speak it graciously. You don't have to pick between the two of them. But he wants us to speak graciously. And that's, I think, a challenge for some of us. We, we can be hard truthers. We love truth and just making sure everyone gets truth. And that's a good thing, right? Truth is important. That is not a bad thing. But man, we need the spirit of Jesus to help us speak truth in the way of Jesus. Grace. We need to speak with grace. And I love how this is in the context. Notice the very end of the verse, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See what Paul's imagining? Paul's imagining that as you're praying and God opens these doors and you step into them, that creates conversations. That creates conversations. And in these conversations, you're speaking. That's kind of the vision Paul has. We pray for open doors. We step into these relationships. We speak in them. But it's not just us blasting things. There's this give and take in relationships. And I love, if you look at Jesus, he's always asking questions. He does a lot more question asking you think, you know. And in the context of these relations where people see your life and you speak, there's, there's something powerful but the combination of those two things that God uses. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. When it comes to speaking the message of Jesus, the good news of what Jesus did, do you struggle more with hedging and not being clear? Or do you struggle maybe with blasting and not being gracious? I think a lot of us tend to default towards one or the other. And so I just want you to pray and ask for God to help you speak clearly and graciously. So as we wrap up here, we are called to be first and foremost people of prayer. We're devoted to prayer, asking God to change our hearts, open our eyes. So who are you praying for? Two, then God invites us to act wisely, to, to live intentionally, step into these things. What are the places in your life that you can live intentionally on mission, making disciples? And then third, we're called to speak clearly, boldly, graciously. How can God help you to do that. And here's the thing, friends. I'm so glad of two big realities. You do not have to do this alone. God's provided community for you to encourage you, to spur you on, to do this together. And second, even more importantly, God himself is with you by his spirit. Maybe I'll add a third thing. Here, here, here's the third encouraging thing. God does not love you more or less based off how well you're doing in any of these things, okay? That's just not gospel. Don't do this because you're trying to earn his love. Do it because you know how much he loves you already. And if you're someone this morning that doesn't know Jesus in a personal way, I would just invite you to lean into the first and just pray and say, God, if you're real, would you show yourself to me? God, would you reveal to me that Jesus really is the one who can rescue me? 
and pay attention and see what God does. And maybe even this morning, God might be speaking to you and saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Trust me. Love me. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you are always the one who initiates relationships. That while we were sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. That when we were never looking for you, you came looking for us. You put people in our lives to pursue us. So God, I pray that every person here would be pursued by you and come to know you and love you and trust in you. And I pray for all those who do love and trust in you, God, would you help us be people that are joining you on mission, praying to see what you're already up to, stepping into it intentionally, speaking boldly and graciously, and trusting you to do the work that only you can, which is bringing people into your family. The best family there is. Pray this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I've asked, been asked to close. Um, my name's Bob Pegarsh. I'm one of the new elders here at Washera Community Church. My, Michael, great message. Thank you. And I don't love you any less because you're a Canadian. So, God's laid it on my heart this week about what Father's Day and family means. So I'd like to read a piece of scripture. 1 Peter 4, 9 through 11 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully. Administering God's grace in various forms, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Um, it's funny, the message, and God laid it on my heart this week, what family means. Um, church family is more than brothers and sisters in Christ. It's aunts, uncles, grandparents, moms, dads. And I hate to say it, but family is messy at times. We do make messes on the floor, but we have conflicts and problems. If anyone sees or has an issue with a family member in need, we should offer a helping hand. Whether it's a young family with an energetic child or an elderly person needing help getting in and out of this building, we're to look out, as it says in James 1.27, we're to look out for the widows and orphans with compassion and grace. I'd like you to look around today at our church family. Is there anyone that could use a little encouragement or a prayer or that you could reach out to as a mentor, act as a surrogate grandparent, surrogate aunt and uncle, so just please do that this week for me in your prayers. Think if there's somebody that you can help in this body to feel more comfortable. So I'd like to close this in prayer. Almighty God, I thank you for this church family. I thank you for the many blessings that this body has received. I know there are many and we can't even count them all. They're as numerous as the stars. 
I know that we are all sinners and need God's grace. I thank you for Jesus that died on the cross for us and shed his blood for our sins. Help, help us to be more Christ-like this week. Help us to find the love of Jesus in our hearts. And please bless that great, great, great grandfather in the back, or was it two greats? I don't remember, but that is an honor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.